Comments. I, I do want to announce, though, one other thing in regards to this week, and that is Irene wanted to make sure that the whole church knew that they were invited to her celebration of life. So she wanted to make sure everyone knew. So I want to make sure, you know, you're invited. So if you can make the time, come this Thursday. She wanted to make sure it was here at Refuge at 10 a.m. And uh, so she, she uh, set everything up. <laughs> and um, so we've made all the arrangements. We'll be right here um, Thursday at 10 a.m. doing that very thing that she wanted. And that is, um, you know, it's one thing to celebrate her life, but celebrating what she celebrated. Um, to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, to perhaps be reminded of the fact that in Christ we have hope. It's only in Christ that we have salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And so that's what we're going to be going over on Thursday, along with, of course, just going over, uh, just remembering her and sharing in memories um, that we have of her. She certainly made an impact here um, at Refuge, and so we're going to honor her uh, in a special way this coming Thursday. So Thursday, 10 o'clock. Um, I also want to share with you something that um, had come up. We, uh, we sang the first song, and, and it reminded me of this. I had a dream. And I don't remember many dreams. Do you guys remember your dreams? Yeah, you do. Some do, and most don't, though, right? Yeah, it's like you dream. It's like, oh, I know I dream. And sometimes you dream these things, and it's like, wow, that was weird, you know? <laughs> It was like, that must have been pizza or something. I don't know. But I did have this dream the other night. And um, I think it was prompted by this uh, documentary that I saw in regards to the last days. And, uh, and, and it just um, gave kind of a glimpse of what if, right? Like we were in the middle of the tribulation and there was lawlessness. There was a lack of food. Um, so there was, there was a famine, there was pestilence, there was all kinds of things that were going on. What if, you know, that was happening? And um, so they played out that scenario. And it was this reporter that was investigating this and was living through it and was recording um, the whole thing, right? And he was an unbeliever, but towards, I think, about the middle of it, he became a believer, because he had interviewed this man that had all the answers to what was happening at that very moment. And the reason why he had all the answers is because he was reading it right out of Scripture. And he was telling them what would happen. Now, some of these things, he would say, I, I can't say that it's exactly this, but it's described in this way. Just remember that it was John that was this was being revealed to, that was being brought through this. And so he described it as well as he possibly could. And so, at some point, he became a believer. You could just tell the, the cameraman was, was asking him, how, how is it like, basically, you've now come to believe these things. How do you know them? He says, look around. It was all as he said it was. 
But one thing, so onto my, my dream. So in my dream, I, I see this scroll. And it was a beautiful scroll. And I see it begin to be unrolled as it's coming out. Just, I, what I was telling my wife is that it was like, it was, how can you describe it? Well, it was just, just glory. That's what was just like, it was glorious. But I got so excited. I was so excited. I was like, look at what's happening. And look at that. You know, Jesus is coming. He's here because he's the only one that could open the scroll. He is the one. And so it was like I was saying, I was telling everyone around me, I know this one. <laughs> right? I, I know it. I know it. I, I've read it. And now it's happening. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. And I look around and I hear, and, and it's just silent. Not like that. But it was just silent. It was just silent. And I kind of look around and everyone's just like this. That, that's all. They were just in awe. But they were, they were not saying anything at all. In that moment when we see these things happening, are we going to be just simply in awe? Like, I just taken aback? Or are we in that moment going to be excited? Like, I know what's happening here, but I know I belong to Jesus Christ, I know grace, I know salvation, and therefore, I know what happens. I know the answer. I thought about Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation chapter 5, this is what it says. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When you see this, will you rejoice? Will you be a part of this incredible worship service? This will be a time of rejoicing. For we know. We live knowing. We live with great purpose. We live with the most incredible and awesome message that anyone can hear. God's grace through Jesus Christ. Salvation has come. The work of atoning for our sins has been finished on the cross. And no matter what we go through, we can rejoice knowing that there is a purpose and a plan for us and our future lies in the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open it up. He will break those seals and open. Oh, how glorious. Oh, what awaits you, those who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, what awaits you is beyond words, beyond what we can describe in earthly terms. And yet it awaits us in Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the hope that is before us. I pray, Lord, that you would do your effective work you would complete it this morning, Lord, in each and every heart of every person that is sitting here this morning. For those who are watching online, Lord, the same is true. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would move, that as we do study your word, that you would give us understanding. And Lord, that we would be fruitful. We would not... Be as those who were rebuked by Jesus were, the hypocrites, the religious leaders who, Lord, looked good on the outside, Lord, but just were insincere. They were not genuine in their faith in you. Pray, Lord, that we would be genuine. That, Lord, we would desire to bring you glory. That we would be consecrated unto you. And that we would yield ourselves to the sanctifying work that we know to be true in Christ, the spirit that dwells within us, as he brings us through the word and gives us understanding of it. May we stand corrected before you, encouraged, built up, and stirred up for love and good works. And so we thank you, Lord, for this moment, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to wrap up uh, the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Mark this morning. And basically, the, the title of this morning's message is Cleansing Confusion. But at the same time, it's Cleansing Confusion Part 2. Uh, but it's also a continuation of perhaps what is stuck in your mind from last Sunday. And, and that is the theme of what... Jesus is confronting and addressing here, and that is hypocrisy. Those who were 
all leaves and no fruit, right? All leaves and no fruit. So we're going to continue that this morning, uh, beginning in verse 27. Let's read. It says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. So the answer, Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You know, as we learned last week, Jesus is clearing up confusion. For we know that God is not the God of confusion. Any time that you're experiencing confusion, it's not of God. There is um, a stirring. There is conviction. But confusion, no. He's not the author of confusion for the word tells us so. And we understand that confusion is not of the Lord. Oftentimes we are the author of confusion in many ways. And so we know Jesus is teaching. Uh, He's teaching both privately and publicly throughout this time of his ministry. For these three years, he is teaching, he is preaching. And we know that he is doing it publicly with the masses, but he's also taking aside his disciples and teaching them privately. No different at this very end of his ministry as he is now in Jerusalem and going to the cross knowing what is before him. It's no different. Jesus stays the course and continues to do the will of the Father regardless of the things that he is faced with. We saw last week how Jesus cursed the fig tree as he was entering Jerusalem because it was advertising that it had figs. Remember, the fig trees, once they start producing leaves, they should also start producing figs, right? And it wasn't that it didn't have figs, it's that it had leaves and no figs. It was false advertising, as we said last week. It was all leaves and no fruit. Jesus cursed it because of its hypocrisy, being disingenuous, causing confusion. Again, that's something that we need to understand God takes seriously. For us to present ourselves as something that we're not is really something that could cause others to stumble. So it should serve as a stern warning for us today that as Christians, to not work hard at looking the part, but rather actually being a genuine believer that knows salvation, loves Jesus and loves others, and expresses it by the way in which we conduct ourselves. 
Obviously, from what we learned last week, Jesus does not tiptoe around sin and deception, does he? He points it out and confronts it as he did with the fig tree and with the temple and those who had turned it into a den of robbers. I mean, after all, he cursed the fig tree. And he went into the temple. And he rebuked those who were selling and buying those who were taking advantage of the people of God, and he overturned tables. He made that whip, and he used it. But we also saw that Jesus made it abundantly clear that there are two requirements to effective prayer, right? When, when later on, when Peter saw, he, and he noted, and he pointed out how it was that, hey, that fig tree, that... Jesus cursed is, is dead. And so his focus in that moment was, was on prayer, the, the, um, the expression of faith, trusting in and, and, and yielding to God, what he could do and what man could not do. Two things that were important. The requirements of effective prayer is faith and forgiveness. Both together. And if someone has first faith in God and then is willing to forgive others as he has been forgiven, then the largest of mountains can be moved. It was a figure of speech, of course. If someone has faith the size of a little mustard seed, just a little bit of faith, a little bit, you exercise that faith. Oh, what problems could be taken care of? But I do want to note that I understand. For those of you who have the ESV translation, verse 26 is not included. While in the New King James translation, it is included. Let me explain. Verse 26 says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Usually, and if you look on your Bible, you'll find a footnote saying the NU text omits this verse. You see, the majority of the Greek manuscripts include this verse, but the oldest manuscripts do not include this verse. Let me assure you that the inclusion or exclusion of this verse does not change the teaching of Christ or introduce a contradiction to the Bible because we can go to different areas of Scripture and know that it does not contradict. We can go to Matthew 6, 14 and 15 and find that, uh, what may have been inserted by a scribe, again, as they were translating it into the Greek, what we found in no, in Mark chapter 11, verse 26. Perhaps it is thought that the scribe inserted it there to agree with Mark 6.15 and then Matthew 18.35 when it never disagreed with it to begin with. In fact, let's see it for ourselves. Matthew uh, chapter 6, let's turn there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. This is when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And then he goes on from the 
the model prayer to verse 14, where it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Let's match it up with that. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. See, what's implied there is exactly what was said in the previous verse that we just read in Matthew, right? Chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Look at Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. If you want to take a look at this in context, and I'll give you a little background here. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant, the one who had been forgiven much and yet refused to forgive a little. We are commanded to forgive, are we not? So why is there so much resentment and bitterness and vengeance and all of that, even among God's people? Why? If we're commanded to forgive, we're commanded to. It's not an option. It's not optional. Verse 35 of Matthew 18 says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So therefore we know that it's consistent with the Lord. The requirement is forgive as you've been forgiven. The problem is the heart of man. It's our heart. It's because we have not come to that place to where we have chosen to yield our wills to the Lord's. We desire, um, well, our own will above His is the bottom line. The point is that the person who refuses to forgive others is failing to exhibit any proof that they themselves have received the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus. And it is simply God's command to his people to forgive others. You see, when you have gotten to that place to where you know God's forgiveness and you know yourself, you know that you don't deserve forgiveness. You know that you don't deserve grace. You know you don't deserve any of that. It's at that point that you cannot, we cannot hold a grudge over other people. We cannot live in unforgiveness. We must forgive. And we need to do so willingly and quickly. Lest the enemy comes in and destroy and undermine relationships in our relationship with the Lord and even the effectiveness of our prayer. You see, that's the whole thing. And this fits perfectly going into the section that we just read in the final portion of Mark chapter 11. Because that person would appear to be all leaves and yet possess no fruit showing they know forgiveness. Why is this important and what does it have to do with how Jesus' authority was challenged by the chief priests, scribes, and elders? 
Because again, both expose hearts that reject faith in Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. If we address this, if we come to this and face it, we realize that both hearts reflect a lack of faith, of trust, a lack of loving the Lord. You see, Jesus does not want people to be confused thinking you can look like you've been forgiven and yet refuse to forgive. And Jesus does not want people to be confused thinking you can seek to please both the world and God. You cannot. We cannot. We have to choose between the two. I would hope that we choose rightly. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We also come to understand and realize that Jesus does not play games, does he? He doesn't want us to play games either. So let's allow him to cleanse any confusion that we may have, any attempt to justify remaining in the place where we are, which is opposed to the Lord, and not in alignment with his word. As we see this morning, how it is that when Jesus' authority is challenged by the religious leaders, he again does not play games. He doesn't go along with them, but rather exposes their true intentions. May we take heed and not play games with the faith we profess to possess in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Because there are too many people that do play games and make every effort to justify their unwillingness to believe and obey the word of God. In some way, shape, or form, we, there's too many people that are in that place. So, we're going to see here, again, and just focus in on the questioning. Why is it that these religious leaders are questioning Jesus? Number two, the contemplation. The question and that Jesus asks, and then how it is that they contemplate. But why is it that they're contemplating this? And, and what's the... Uh, they're, they're really contemplating the answer to that question. But we need to see why and realize and understand why. And then finally, the disclosure. That is the disclosure of their hearts. Very important. So first of all, let's go back to Mark chapter 11, verse 27. This is the questioning, and they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? You know, sometimes questions are raised for the purpose of stirring up doubt, and that is as old as the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will 
not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We know the story, but notice how it is that this whole confusion started with the serpent asking that question. Did God really say? She actually embellished on what God commanded them to not do. She added, and he also told us not to touch it. He didn't say not to touch it. He simply said, don't eat it. Simple command, right? Sometimes we complicate God's commands. And we do the same thing that Eve did. We said this and this and this and this. It's like, whoa, 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 let's go back to Scripture and see what Scripture has to say about that. He said, don't eat it. So just don't eat it. But she made it sound more than what the command was. You know, sometimes when we have those questions asked of us, did God really say? We're like, yeah, you know what? Come to think of it. And we embellish and we make it something that it's not. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know what? I can do that. It's almost like we stir up, we allow rebellion to stir up in our own hearts. And we do. Anytime someone begins by saying, did God actually say, be very careful? They're either directly opposing scripture, about to, or they're looking to kind of twist it a little bit for their own benefit. You see, people can communicate this either by words or actions or both. These religious leaders approached Jesus as he was walking into the temple to question his authority. But the question is, were they sincere? Were they sincere? Did they, were they really looking for the answer? Were they really searching for the truth? They wanted to know, and this is what they were asking, by whose authority he was operating, or who, who gave him this authority? What was your authority? How was it received? And where'd you get it from? What, what authority were they referring to? Well, let's go back to the previous day. The previous day, um, Jesus seemed to think that he had the audacity of Jesus of Nazareth to walk into the temple and rebuke those who sold and bought in the temple and then tell them, this is to be, as God said, a house of prayer for all the nations, and you've turned it into a den of robbers. Well, the audacity. But if you think about, about him, he was simply quoting scripture, wasn't he? Why did you have to bring up scripture? Why did you have to speak truth? Who gave you the authority? Oh, the authority for us is not our opinion, right? 
There's no, we have no authority in and of ourselves. The authority lies in the word of God. That's it. But that's what these people were doing. What authority? The authority to rebuke those who sold and bought in the temple. That's what they were referring to. Claiming that they were desecrating it. After all, they, the chief priests, scribes, and elders that we have referred to here, were the ones who had authority in the temple, or so they thought. They took it upon themselves. Talk about being presumptuous. Why did Jesus return to the temple? That was quite bold, wasn't it? Talk about courageous. He knew he was not going to be welcomed by the religious leaders, and yet he, he returned. He came back to the temple. Why? To do one thing, to teach. That is, to testify of the truth. You know, later on in John chapter 18, verse 37, that is later on chronologically, there is this time when Jesus was before Pilate. In John 18, 37, it says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I'm going to repeat that last portion. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Oh, we know the voice of our shepherd, of the good shepherd. Well, I pointed out that Jesus was courageous. Oh, Bolden coming back to the temple the day previous, having done what he did and rebuked the people and pointed out their sin. You see, Jesus was no pushover. Jesus was meek. You need to understand what meek actually means. And he was not tolerant of sin or those who stirred confusion. Jesus was there to teach, to clarify, to explain what truth is, to cleanse confusion. And Jesus used this as another moment to do that very thing. Jesus did not come to debate the religious leaders. In fact, he never did. He simply stated the truth, declared it, and then moved on. He wasn't waiting for their response. How courageous was Jesus to come back to the very place where he had just the day before overturned the tables and rebuked those who sold and were buying in the temple. Is there confusion? My God is not only the Lamb of God, but he is the Lion of Judah. He came the first, the first time to die for our sins. Second time, rule and reign with power. Same God. If you are ever confused, go to Scripture. Go to the living word, for it will clarify it will make clear. You will increase in godly wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. No, oh, but these men, they were, they were angry with Jesus. They were angry with him 
because he was upsetting their operation. And if they allowed Jesus to continue, then they would lose position, power, and authority with the people they ruled over and took advantage for their own personal benefits. Well, Jesus did not need to think about his response immediately. He discerned and had a question for them to expose them in their intentions in that very moment. Again, Jesus was not beating around the bush. He wasn't playing games. He confronted them directly. We need to remember this next time we questioned, we, we question him. His word is always confronting the issue directly. We just need to go to it and understand how is it that God addresses this, this issue or this, this question that I have. Go to him. He won't mince words, and he never does. He clarifies. He's not the God of confusion. He's not the, the origin of confusion. He brings clarity or light to any matter, any question that you have. So we have here the question, and secondly, we have the contemplation. Verse 29 says, And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will let you uh, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the bat- and one simple question he asked. Was the ba- baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. Now the, the question is, Did Jesus ask the question to avoid answering the question? Not at all. If they agreed with John, then they would be confessing to know by what authority he was doing these things. Because they would know who Jesus was. The Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They would know what happened at the Jordan. They would would believe all the stories of raising people from the dead, of healing those who were lame and sick and blind and deaf and mute and possessed by spirits, demonic spirits. If they agree with John, they would simply confess that they, having full knowledge, were rejecting Jesus Christ with full knowledge. (laughs) With one question, they were stuck. One question. And little did they know that either way they were clearly rejecting Jesus. You know, we need, we need to be in those situations with the Lord. In that place where we know. We just know. In And Jesus asks us those questions. The Bible presents us with statements to where we have absolutely no wiggle room. None whatsoever. We have no way out. We either confess a rejection of what's true. Or we yield and we confess and we repent. And we come to possess that forgiveness. And we begin to walk in the truth of God's word. 
Why were they discussing how they would answer Jesus? Why were they contemplating their answer? Was it to consider all of the evidence, hold it up against the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and then answer accordingly? No, it wasn't. Why? Because they had already rejected John the Baptist. In fact, they handed him over to be imprisoned, and then he was beheaded by Herod for speaking truth against him. In fact, we went over this in Mark chapter 6. In verse 14, it says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet... He heard him gladly. Verse 21 says, But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And verse 22 says, For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Stop there. Isn't it interesting that John the Baptist continued to testify of the truth? You know, after all, in in John chapter 3, verse 30, some of you may have this memorized. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew this. John the Baptist, he knew this very well. Does this mean that we grow increasingly silent with everything but salvation? There's a reason why I'm asking this question. Sometimes we we get duped into believing this, that we are to, hey, be silent about everything else as, as much as it pertains to you, as it pertains to you, as much as you can. Live at peace with all people, right? We take that to mean something that Actually, it has been taken out of context over and over again. And here's this example, John the Baptist. He's the one that declared, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. Continually. As Justin Alfred says, Continuously, right? With a little southern drawl. For those of you who know, yeah, I can't even come close to So does this mean that we grow increasingly silent with everything but salvation? Apparently not. It's interesting that John the Baptist spoke openly against the immoral practices of Herod and had been telling him that what he was doing was not right. King Herod? Speaking against him? 
listen, there are some things that we ought to be speaking against. Why? Because it's not right. Lies, deception, manipulation, coercion, like all of these things that aren't right. If we are discerning and we know that they're wrong, we should be following the example of someone like John the Baptist. Kind of serves as another example of speaking out against evil today, doesn't it? Abortion. It's murder. The evil practices of the LGBTQ+, and we can go on, right? It's a deception. And our kids are being indoctrinated in our public school system. It's, it's being undermined. It's being promoted. It's, it's being infused into the hearts of our children. And the enemy knows that this will have its effective work later on as they're the ones that are going to grow up and make policy decisions for everyone. The enemy knows that. We're, we're in, you can say in California, unfortunately, in one of the cesspools of America when it comes to wickedness and evil. Don't hold back from speaking against it. And, and don't, don't speak against a fellow brother or sister who's speaking out against these things. You know, I know something that we, we laugh at, at, and at the same time, I mean, we know people, government leaders, who are outright saying lies. I mean, they're recorded like two years earlier saying something different, and now they're saying something that's completely false, and then everyone's believing it. That's interesting. That in the Bible is called a lie. Like, we want to rejoice over, okay, well, you know... Um, a month ago, our gas prices were at five fifty a gallon, and now, man, we've dropped so much. We've now gone to four dollars and five cents a gallon. Why would we rejoice over that? We're still like two and a half dollars over what it was, you know, two years ago. That's an outright lie, right? What I'm saying is, listen, and we we can't get. John was not all about Herod and Herodias and what was happening with his brother Philip and all of that. He wasn't all about that. He was all about Jesus Christ. But when something was before him that was false, he would say, that's false. And you know what he got for it? His head was chopped off. And he wouldn't budge. He wouldn't, he wouldn't recant. You know, I was just joking. You can do whatever you want to do. Have your brother's wife <laughs> to each their own, you know? As long as you're not hurting anyone, you're not bothering me personally. No, he called it out. And for that, he paid with his own life. He was, as his Savior was doing, bearing witness to the truth. Do we? Do you bear witness to the truth? Well, these religious leaders were contemplating how they were going to respond 
to Jesus because they wanted to appear to maintain control and authority in the temple before the people. But they were dealing with the author of life who knows all things and is able to cut to the heart of the matter and expose intentions. Let us always remember that, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word always cuts to the heart of the matter. The intentions, the motives. Why? Well, the religious leaders knew how the people saw Jesus, but they didn't want to reveal that they didn't agree. They feared the people. They did not fear God. The questioning, the contemplation, and finally the disclosure, verse 33, says, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Just like the person who expects forgiveness but refuses to forgive, the hearts of these men were exposed. That's the bottom line. Their answer, well, it was a lie. It was manipulative. Since they did not believe, then they should have just said they didn't believe. But they didn't say it because they wanted to still be good with the people. So they tried to ride the line, so to speak. They wanted to appeal to all sides, including the undecided. Notice that Jesus did not engage with them any further also. He didn't go after him. He didn't continue the debate. He didn't do that. He he stated truth. He exposed their hearts. They were lacking sincerity. They were not genuine. Again, Jesus was not there to entertain those who were insincere with the debate. These men were not pursuing truth, you see. These men were not asking this question to realize or come to understand who exactly Jesus was. And yet he had stated it very clearly and proved it by what he did over and over and over again. What he taught, the miracles that he performed. These men were not, were not pursuing truth. They had already determined in their own hearts that Jesus was to be stopped and silenced at all costs. Warren Wearsby said this, quote, The leaders may have forgotten their decision about John the Baptist, but their decision did not forget them. It finally caught up with them and condemned them. They had not submitted to John's ministry, according to Luke 7, 29 and 30. Therefore, they were not ready to receive Jesus and trust him. In their unbelief and cowardice, they had even allowed John to be killed by Herod Antipas. And soon they would ask Pilate to crucify Jesus, close quote. Again, as we've been reminded throughout this morning, Jesus didn't play games with the insincere. He exposed them, and then he simply continued in the Father's will. Nothing stopped him. Not people that were opposed to him, opposed to fulfilling the Father's will. 
didn't stop. He would address and then he would continue on. And this is what he did. And he always brings clarity to confusing situations with truth. What the enemy tries to confuse with lies, he simply corrects. And he makes the statement. That's what the Bible is. It's one big, great statement. Truth? Right there. The questioning, the contemplation, the disclosure. Jesus bears witness to the truth. He is truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is a statement, not a debate. He is the answer for hope. In Christ, we know God's forgiveness, God's grace. We know salvation. So what must we do to know salvation? Well, if God has stirred your heart, if perhaps you find yourself in opposition, you find yourself perhaps like these religious leaders, questioning, repent, and believe. You need no emotional stirring. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross, atoning pain for your sins in full was buried three days later, rose from the grave. And after 40 days of appearing to many of the disciples, including the apostles, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he sat down because it's all finished. Believe in Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind? I hope, I hope we all do here. Now, we don't question the Lord from an insincere heart to justify ourselves, but rather we find ourselves confessing, repenting, and yielding to the authority of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this, this lesson, Lord, in humility, Lord, in your sovereignty and at the same time your grace and your mercy. Lord, that you are interested in the heart of man. Lord, the, the insincere person the one who does not believe will always attempt to justify themselves. 
but Lord, to the person who has surrendered their lives to you. Lord, um, you require, require humility and you require obedience, Lord. And yet, Lord, I, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit that we may do that willingly and with great joy. So I pray, Father, that this morning, if there's anyone here who has not surrendered their hearts to you, that they have not come to a place of repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation. That at this very moment, you are, you are extending grace to them through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that there would be a response, a, a genuine yielding of their lives to you that the angels in heaven may rejoice and, and Lord, we would all gather around and help them and each other, Lord, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to learn how to follow you and live for you, to glorify and to please you by the worship of our entire lives. So we thank you for this moment and we pray this all in Jesus' name.